hope that you got a bulletin on the way in. You can follow along with some notes and the outline of our sermon this morning. Our passage is going to be 1 Corinthians 15, if you'd like to find it in your Bible. The song we just sang was written by Bill and Gloria Gaither, and they've written a whole lot of songs. I looked up this week, said that they have written and published over 700 songs. And some of you guys, you love the Gaithers, you, you like the Gaither homecoming, all that stuff. Some of you guys say, eh, Gaithers really aren't my thing, Southern Gospel's not my favorite style of music. Whether you like them or you don't, my guess is, is that if we called Mark up and we just asked Mark to play on the piano the, the greatest hits of the Gaithers, you'd be able to sing along or hum along with a lot of their tunes. The song that we just sang was written at a dark time in their life when they were fearful and they were afraid and they were uncertain about life. They had a new baby on the way and there was things taking place in the world that were quite frankly scary to them on a a global level and even on a personal level. They were struggling with several different issues and they sat down and they wrote that song and it's a simple song. It's basically a reflection on how the good news of the gospel that Jesus died and rose from the dead gives us hope. Because he lives, because he he was raised from the dead, we can face tomorrow. And the passage that we're about to read in 1 Corinthians 15 is really a strange one. It's like the dark alter ego to the Gaither song, Because He Lives. It's a passage where Paul stops for about eight verses, and he just thinks about what would be true if Jesus had not come back from the dead. As I read it this week and thought about it, I I walked away saying, this to me is one of the most interesting passages in the Bible. It's one of the darkest passages in the Bible. In one sense, it's one of the most frightening passages in the Bible, and it's definitely one of the most honest passages in the Bible. And what I want us to do is to read these eight verses where Paul sort of works through in his mind what would be true if Jesus we're not alive. And then we're going to read one verse where he sort of turns the corner in verse 20, and we're going to use that as a springboard to talk about the resurrection. So you follow along in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been Raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, very, very earnestly, we gather together as your people and we ask that you would make your word plain to us and clear to us. 
Father, help us to understand the weight and the importance and the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. Father, help us to see the difference that it makes in our lives. Father, help us to see it as the centerpiece of our faith. As we've read the scripture about Christ coming, being born of a woman. We've sung about his death on the cross. Father, we've read about his, his resurrection. And we believe with Paul that he has been raised. And we pray this morning that you would press that truth home to our hearts. Father, we pray for those who are here who are not followers of Jesus. We pray that as we talk about the scriptures this morning, that your spirit would awaken them to the truth and open their eyes to believe. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Sermon this morning is pretty simple. I want to track Paul's thoughts through these eight verses or so where he assumes that Maybe there was no resurrection, and what would life be like if that were true? And then we're going to turn the corner in verse 20 and talk about some things that are true because Jesus has been raised from the dead. So if Christ was not raised, if he was not raised from the dead, these things are true. Just tracking through Paul's thoughts. Number one, Christians are wasting their time. Wasting your time. Verse 14 Paul says, if he has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. I just want you to think about the man who said that in his situation, in his experience of preaching. It wasn't like me, who I just lived down the street from the church and just sort of take a nice leisurely drive here this morning and turn all the lights on and everything's great and I stand up and preach and then I'm going to leave and I'm going to go have a big Easter lunch in a little while. For Paul to preach Jesus, it required great personal sacrifice on his part. Sacrifice of his time, sacrifice of his relationships, sacrifice financially, sacrifice physically and emotionally. All of those things are wrapped up in Paul's preaching, and he says, if Jesus is not alive, then my preaching, our preaching, is a total waste. It's all in vain. We're wasting our time. You don't sacrifice maybe exactly the way Paul does, but I hope you understand, as a member of Emmanuel Baptist Church, we expect you and we call you to make a sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. We ask for your time. We expect our people to serve here. We, we ask for your money that you would give and support ministry here. We ask for your energy, that you would invest in other people in this church. And Paul just sort of is running this through his brain, and he says, just so we're all on the same page, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, all of that sacrifice is a waste. It's all a waste. Number two, if Christ was not raised from the dead, we hold to a meaningless faith. Meaningless empty. He says our preaching would be in vain, and he says in verse 14, your faith would be in vain. I tried to think this week of the best way to illustrate this or to explain it, and the best thing I could come up with is actually from the scriptures. You remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, 1 Kings 18? There's this big showdown between Elijah and the 950 false prophets, and they they come up with this contest to see whose God can call down fire or send down fire from the heaven to burn the offering up. And we know, if if you've read the story, that Elijah eventually prays to the Lord, and the Lord sends the fire. But do you remember the prophets, 950 of them, gathered around this altar? From early in the morning to late in the afternoon, they're singing, 
as loudly as they can. They're screaming at the top of their lungs. They're dancing around like mad men and women. They're cutting themselves with knives to try to get the attention of Baal. And this is one sentence you read from 1 Kings 18. In the midst of all that chaos, there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. A lot of religious activity going on. And it's all completely meaningless. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. You can gather together and sing. You can put your nice new shirts and dresses and hats on. You can get all spiffed up for Easter. You can make a big deal of it. You can do a good Friday worship service. and You can do all the stuff. But if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, you understand that no one is listening. There is no voice and no one is paying attention. Number three, if Christ was not raised from the dead, Christians promote a lie about God. A lie about God. Verse 15. This is a heavy verse. The whole passage is heavy, but he says this in verse 15. Christ has not been raised. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we said, we testified about God that he had been raised. We did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For 2,000 years, if Jesus has not been raised... You are now part of a 2,000-year lie, a charade, a game, a con. It's all a lie. Number four, if Christ has not been raised, Christians are still dead in their sins. Dead in their sins. Verse 16 and 17. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. I don't care if you believe in Jesus. I don't care if you believe in the Bible. If you're here this morning and you say, this is just a whole bunch of mumbo-jumbo. I just came with some family so I could eat a honey-glazed ham later or something like that. There is one thing that we can all agree on, and that, that thing is that there is something wrong with us. You can't deny that. Something inherently not right with human beings. And if you don't believe me, let's sit down and watch the news together. Or let's go down to one of the high schools and let's sit in a 10th grade math class together. Or let's go down the hall to the nursery where our kids are and watch. Or if you want to get real personal, just look in the mirror. Or I can look in the mirror. Sin is an undeniable, undeniable reality in this life. And Paul says, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. Yes, it's important that we celebrate Christmas and he was born. Yes, it's important that we celebrate Good Friday and the cross. But if he has not been raised from the dead, you and I still have a massive sin problem before God that we can't deal with on our own. You're dead, Paul says, in your sins. Number five, if Christ has not been raised, Christians who have died are dead. Really dead. Verse 18, Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. The Bible uses this image many, many times of falling asleep. When it talks about Christians, it talks about believers who die. It says they've fallen asleep. And it's not a sort of Pollyanna, Pollyanna denial of the reality of death or the pain of death or the finality of death. It's just a way of saying, especially in the New Testament, we don't believe that physical death is the end of us. We believe there's something else, that your soul lives on. 
And Paul, just being very brutally honest, says, now, you understand. We've been in the book of Philippians, and he says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it's gain because I get to go be with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's got all these ideas in his, in his mind and in our minds. We go to be with Jesus. And he says, you understand, if Jesus has not been raised, there's nowhere for you to go and no one for you to go to. And the hope that you take from the gospel at a funeral is just a lie. And those who have died in the Lord are just dead, and that's the end of it. Last, if Christ was not raised from the dead, Christians are pitiful people. Pitiful people. This is the great irony of the whole thing when you think about it today. Because in our culture, in our society, Christians are the one who have the ones who have come up with this annoying sort of patronizing phrase where we look at people and we say, oh, bless your heart. Oh, bless your heart. And you say that to somebody that you feel sorry for, somebody that you pity, somebody that is in a situation you don't want to be in. We just sort of, oh, bless your heart. And that's basically what Paul is saying in this passage. He's saying, if Jesus is really dead and he did not rise three days later like the scriptures say, bless your hearts. You're pitiful. You are the most pitiful people on the planet if Christ has not been raised. And then he turns the corner in verse 20 and thankfully he turns the corner and he says this, but Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You can go and you can trace the rest of Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15. He says some amazing things about what that means, that Christ has been raised. This morning what I want to do is I want to pivot from verse 20, and I just want to give you a few thoughts. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, because verse 20 comes after verse 19, and Paul says, he has been raised Here are some things that are true, and you can take them to the bank. Number one, the Scriptures are trustworthy. Believe it. Mark it down. It's certain. It's unshakable. Listen to me. When somebody dies and comes back to life never to die again, that person has the authority and the right to tell us what to believe. That's the kind of person you listen to. Jesus died He rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples, and his disciples were shocked. They were terrified. They were confused. And this is what we read in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. Look at this verse. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus says, why didn't you believe it? The scriptures had to be fulfilled. It's right there in the law of Moses. It's right there in the Psalms. It's right there in the prophets. Of course it had to happen. The scriptures are trustworthy. They cannot be broken. You live in a day and age where some of the most educated people in our society want you to question and doubt the scriptures. They want you to sort of look at it and say, well, they're valuable, they're good, they're helpful, but they're not perfect. You can't really trust everything. 
you understand that that lie has been around for a long time. A long time. All the way back to Eden. Did God really say that you're going to die? So you have a choice. You can believe the educated and the people with degrees and lots of letters after their name. You can believe the CNN special or the Discovery Channel special or the History Channel special or whatever special is running on TV today. Or you can listen to the one man who defeated death. And he says the scriptures must be fulfilled. They're trustworthy. Number two, because Jesus has been raised, we know that he's really the Son of God. He's really the Son of God. Look how Paul starts off his letter to the Romans. Romans 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, who was declared to be, this is Jesus, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It was his resurrection from the dead by the power of the Spirit that proved or declared or vindicated him as the Son of God. Now you and I hear Son of God and our culture has sort of watered that down and we think, oh, that's like, a, that's like almost God or that's like a little bit below God. But you understand if you've read the New Testament, when Jesus started calling himself the Son of God and when people started calling Jesus the Son of God and he didn't tell them to stop, He was eventually executed for blasphemy because everyone around him understood what he was saying when he claimed to be the Son of God. You're making yourself equal with God. That point, that truth, when we say Jesus really is the Son of God, it sets this holiday apart from every other religious holiday that the world might celebrate. It sets Jesus apart from every other religious founder that you could ever dream up or pull from the history books. We're not talking about a mere man who had some nice ideas about religion and how we ought to treat each other. We're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about God himself come to be with us and to live among us. And the resurrection proved it, Paul says. Proved that he was the Son of God. Number three, Jesus has been raised, so this is true. The believer's justification is certain. It's certain. In the book of Romans, Paul talks about several different Old Testament characters, and probably the most important Old Testament character he talks about is a man named Abraham. And I just want to show you one verse from the Old Testament about Abraham. Genesis 15, 6 says that he, and it's talking about Abraham, Abraham believed the Lord, and he, that's the Lord, counted it to Abraham as righteousness. Abraham was a sinner. He worshipped statues when the Lord came and appeared to him. And he changed this man. He changed his worldview. He changed his life. He changed his family. And the Bible says that even as a sinner, when Abraham put his faith in the Lord, God counted it to him. He credited it to him as righteousness. That's the biblical doctrine of justification. You're a sinner, just like me, just like all of us. When you put your faith in the Lord, when you trust in Jesus and what he's done for you, you're declared righteous. He makes you this legal declaration, this new standing, he makes you declared to be righteous. And Paul's talking about that in the book of Romans. And he's talking about Abraham, 
and he's talking about justification and this idea that God counts this as righteousness. And look what he says in Romans. The words, it was counted to him, we just read those, Genesis 15, 6. They're not written for his sake alone, for Abraham. They're written for our sake. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He was delivered up for our sins and our trespasses, and he was raised so that God might declare us righteous. Some of you are here this morning and you've heard a lot about Jesus in your life. You have a general idea and a general understanding that he came to this earth and that he died on a cross for sinners. You've heard that. And some of you wrestle with that. Maybe even some of you who have, have made a profession of faith wrestle with that. Some of you maybe who have never trusted in Jesus, never been baptized, and you wrestle with this idea that Jesus was crucified for your sins and raised for your justification. And the issue you wrestle with is, I just don't know if it would work for me. I just don't know if he could save me. I'm just not sure that he would save me because you don't know me. You don't know my heart. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know how many times that I've done them when I said that I wouldn't do them again and I just keep going back to it. You don't know the things that I've thought, the things that I've said, the things that I've felt. And you just sort of wonder. I don't know if it would work for me. And what Paul is saying in Romans 4 is, it'll work. He was raised for your justification. And if you ever have any doubts or any questions about whether or not God's grace is strong enough or powerful enough or big enough to make a sinner like you righteous in God's sight, all you have to do is remember, Christ was raised. Christ was raised. He was raised for our justification. He was raised. That means my justification when I put my faith in Christ is certain. Number four, Jesus has been raised. So this is true. Christians can experience victory over sin. Victory over sin. And I don't, by any stretch of the imagination, mean that you're going to stop sinning. I don't mean that you're going to be able to just stop thinking the things you've always thought or saying the things you've always said or wanting to do the things you've always done. But I do mean that God's grace for you in Christ is powerful enough for you to have victory over sin. Look what we read in the book of Hebrews. It says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. That through Him is through Christ. Because Jesus always lives to make intercession. Jesus lives today And one of the reasons he lives is that he might intercede for you. That he might be at work in you. That he might pray for you. That he might represent you and stand between you and the wrath of God that should fall on your life. And the author of Hebrews says, because he always lives to make this intercession, he is able to save to the uttermost. I don't know about you, but there may be no more frustrating thing in my life than the process of trying to kill sin and to put it to death. And usually the process goes like this. I talk to people, and it's a very similar process. 
Somebody begins to get serious about their faith. Maybe they start reading the scriptures more. They start praying more. They start becoming faithful in church. They start serving. They start sort of doing all these things that would help them grow closer to the Lord. They begin to grow closer to the Lord. And then they sort of look up one day and they realize, I have a million miles to go. Why why am I not further down the road? I've been a follower of the Lord for so long. What, What is wrong with me? That I can't kick this habit or kick this sin or deal with this issue in my life. And people get frustrated. They get closer to God. And His holiness is like a spotlight just shining on your sin and you see it more clearly. The Lord begins to fill you with His Spirit and the Spirit begins to convict you of sin. And you begin to feel even more broken. Sometimes people say, I don't think it's working. I think I'm doing something wrong here. I'm trying to grow closer to the Lord, and it's like I'm just stuck in quicksand. It's like I'm running in the mountains. You ever? Some of you don't like running. Some of you like running. I like running okay if it's on flat ground. But when you run in the mountains, you have all these rises, and you sort of use all your energy to get up that rise or that little hill, and then you get up there, and you're like, oh, that's just a little molehill. The mountain is still in front of me. That's kind of like the process of killing sin. You fight, you fight, you fight. You get up a little hill, and then you see how far you have to go. And Hebrews 7 is saying you can have hope, and you can have confidence that God is at work in your life because Jesus lives to intercede for you. And because he lives to intercede for you, he can save to the uttermost. I know you're a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. But God intends to see it through to the end. We've been talking about that on Sunday mornings in the book of Philippians. We keep coming back to some of these coffee cup verses. Philippians 1.6. He begins a good work in somebody. He's going to finish that work in somebody. Hebrews 7. It's the same idea. He lives to intercede for his people. He's alive. And because he's alive, you will be able to experience victory over sin. Last idea is this. We can share in Jesus' resurrection. We can share in the resurrection. This is verse 20 where Paul turns the corner and he says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Meaning, there's going to be more resurrections coming. Christ is just the first fruits. And the rest of the harvest is coming. There will be another resurrection. We talked about this in Philippians just last week. Paul says it in Philippians 3.20. He says, we're waiting our Savior and our Lord who's coming from heaven. We're waiting for him. And when he comes, he's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. He's alive. He's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to transform us to be like he is. Watch TV. Get on social media. Go to the the Christian bookstore and look at the bestseller section. There's an awful lot of people out there who want to talk to you about the gospel, quote-unquote gospel, of being healthy and wealthy and happy and prosperous. There's an awful lot of people out there who want to talk to you about the good news, quote-unquote good news, that you can have your best life now, that you can live in this unending victory and everything will go your way and everything can be rosy and great and nice and easy. Don't believe it. And quite frankly, don't settle for it. 
Paul's not talking about you're going to have your best life now, you're going to have your wealth now, your health now, your prosperity now. What Paul is saying is there is a day coming where we will share in Christ's resurrection and we will be made to be like him. Don't settle for something good now. Cash it in for something greater later. You look at this passage and you listen to Paul and he says, Christ has been raised from the dead. And you've seen the dark side of what it would mean if he had not been raised. And you see the hope of the gospel and the things that are true. And you walk away with the Gaithers and you say, because he lives, I can face one more day. Because he lives, I have hope. I can defeat sin in my life through God's power in me. I can know that I've been forgiven and justified. I can trust God's word as a rock underneath my feet. And I have hope that one day resurrection is coming. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We believe that it's true. Father, we believe that Christ has been raised. Father, what great hope we have as your people. Because death and sin and Satan have been defeated. Father, we pray that we would not set our hopes in this world and in this life, but we would set them in Christ and in the resurrection that he's promised to share with his people. Father, we pray for the the folks in this room who don't know Jesus, and we pray that today they would trust in him. They would believe that because he was raised for our justification, they can be made right with you. Father, I pray for those in the room who are battling sin and fighting sin in their life. And Father, I pray that Christ would continue the work that he started in us. That he would save us to the uttermost. Father, be honored as we lift our voices to sing. As we respond to your word in worship. And as we trust in your promises. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to stand up.